All right, this is the next episode of 10 Questions. I am Thinker, and on the other end with me, I have Kavya, and uh, Kavya, currently uh, Ramadan Mubarak. Thank you so much, Thinker. Yeah, um, it, while, while this is going to be uh, a, a episode that's scheduled to uh, drop actually next year in 2021, um, <laughs> uh, it's, you know, it, it's... Uh, you know, I, I feel that it's, it's important to, uh, you know, you know, recognize those things like uh, Ramadan, especially uh, for those that are observing it and, uh, you know, going through the practices of it, because, um, you, you know, no, no matter whether you're somebody that subscribes to the same feelings, uh, subscribes to the same beliefs or not, um, you know, you know, things, things like the practices in Ramadan are very, uh, in my mind, are very powerful, um, you know, are very, uh, um, you know, they're, they're, they're meant to elicit a, uh, a, uh, you know, more closeness with, uh, with your beliefs, with your practices. And, um, you know, for, for anybody, no matter, no matter what kind of practices we're talking about, if it's that kind of connection with anybody, um, I, I I like to recognize that no matter what it is. So uh, so yeah, um, you, you know I let's let, let, let's uh, use that as a stepping off point and uh, you know jump into first question. Um, you know with it being uh, with it being the middle of uh, Ramadan and having also uh, you know the quarantine going on with uh, with the COVID nineteen. Um, how how has uh you know ramadan been different this year for you well it it is yeah it has certainly been a bit more challenging i would say if i were to sum it up uh i recall when i first started and i think it it's it's mostly true because i've spoken with a few people who are also experiencing similar situation we first have the you know isolation with covid-19 I live by myself. Some of my friends live by myself, live on their own. And so the isolation had been building up since March of 2020. And then now we headed to Ramadan in April 2020. And now, you know, we're recording today in May. So it's just like this isolation caused this sense of like wanting to, you know, kind of, you know, be together. And during Ramadan, one of the comforting thing is, we visit the mosque and we meet with friends and, you know, uh, even though we are fasting and we're sort of trying to elevate ourselves spiritually and, you know, so, sort of become more lighter and ethereal and go through this transformation, it seems like our Ramadan started while back, <laughs> at least emotionally and mentally, because we started to transform the way we went into this isolation, especially the people who remain single and people who have not been able to, I mean, I was really hesitant to admit to, you know, just like being a conservative person, I never wanted to admit that I long for human touch, but this COVID-19 and now the Ramadan, you know, all together has brought me to the conclusion that it's okay. I should not be ashamed to admit that human touch is so necessary. And that's, that can compound together with, you know, all the feelings of transformation that come along with just, you know, praying all the time or uh, even working at the same time is just become it's been a little challenging, but thanks to God, you know, like uh, a lot of the people, and sometimes you just never know 
who might show up to comfort you and likewise as you, as i we started this podcast already i feel a little bit more comforted than i was uh up until this point before we started so you just never know what in what form comfort may show up and that has been happening over and over so i feel i'm i'm still i'm okay i'm hanging in there that's that's good that's good um i i know i've i, I know i've seen uh, a, a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, um, jewish people with some of their uh, meals that are are commonly you know gatherings uh that they've uh, they've been doing virtual versions of these during the during uh, the quarantine. Um, have, have the have the uh, uh, iftar meals uh, been the same? Have has there been people getting on Zoom and doing virtual iftars? That is correct. I have not been part of it, but there are groups out there that are doing like definitely Friday, you know, it's supposed to be collective, but we can't be. So Friday prayers, at least they are conducting like that. And they are doing something called like, you know, like a sermon type of a thing collectively. And of course, iftar parties, although I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm very low key, very like, you know, and people think of me as very social and extrovert but COVID-19 has proven how comfortable I was in the beginning that I am a total nerd <laughs> and a total introvert at heart so at in that sense it's been wonderful oh that that's that, that's good um you know I I I know uh I, I know for me I've enjoyed being at home um hey I, I'm uh, uh, um I'm, I'm autistic and you know even though even though I definitely am really an extrovert at heart, um, you know, my, my energy sapped really, really quickly whenever I, I'm out of, out of my own personal element. And so I've been, I've been enjoying being home too. Um, but, but in the same vein, you know, you know, you know, like you said, you know, that, that need for being around people that need for a little bit of difference that need for it, for a human touch, um, you know that that is that's definitely been uh, you know a lot more on a lot of people's minds with totally. not being able to have that. You want to know what's been really helpful, actually? What's that? So I mentioned human touch. There is another aspect that is so essential for all of humanity, which is human connection. Mm -hmm. So we are able to establish some of the human connections via Zoom and everything. But I've got these like you know, virtual reality headsets because I, you know, I'm in the industry. So um, when I meet with people in virtual reality, this is quite a mitigation mechanism. It mm -hmm. really does serve to that actual connection point. And I know the technology is not 100% there, but if I were to say, like, I spent you know, watching Joe Rogan, Elon Musk podcast with a friend and we were critiquing him big time in VR setting. Right after that, I felt like I just, like we, I just literally face to face hung out. And the science has suggested that the impact on our brain in these virtual reality environment is very similar to experiencing something in a social setting face to face. So it, it's been my experience that it's been quite helpful. I'm fortunate that I can afford those devices and I'm in the industry. So that's another aspect that's been quite helpful. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, I, I definitely, uh, you know, whenever I was looking and saw that you were in the virtual reality space, I, I definitely want to get into that in a little bit, but 
before we get there, I wanted to jump in and I guess moving on to official question number two here. Um, it, I, I've seen a lot of people uh, chime in on how this instant, you know, instant have everybody work from home all of a sudden, uh, you know, some people that it's really changed their tune and they think, oh, you know what, I really don't need an office uh, after this is over. Um, you know what, especially with you being um, in Silicon Valley, where a lot of the more uh, forward thinkers are with stuff like that, and uh, you know, you even, you know, you even with uh, uh, your your own company, um, you know, what, what's what's the thought process that you've had, and you know, maybe you've uh, seen others have this. Is it is it really catching on about hey, let's just not have office space? It is to some extent, because I mean, think about the founders who have to pay the lease for every month. And, you know, uh, they also have to, and whenever you bring people together, there is other issues that you have to address as well. So uh, at least the zeitgeist at the moment is, uh, I was reading some article, there is a large number of people, and I don't remember the exact percentage. And even if we did that, that would be skewed because it's really hard to gather that kind of analytics at the moment. But a large number of people majority of them are really inclined to stay at home. Mm -hmm. Some of the founders and the CEOs, the VCs, they're also looking at it like, you know, now this could actually turn into a phenomenon. For me personally, it is not very different because I mostly work from home before even, you know, we started the quarantine. I used to work from home, but what's different now is we can't travel for me. But for a lot of people, this is a new phenomenon mm -hmm. and they have not established protocols that, you know, online protocols. Sometimes uh, people are misunderstood because of miscommunication during this. Um, so there is this new set of uh, challenges that have emerged that we need to resolve. And I think there is going to be a little bit of focus there too, as we move forward. But I definitely, I see a massive transformation happening in the business, in the Valley, in the, you know, founder, found, founders and all these industry folks, they are changing according to what is transpiring with this quarantine situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would, I would absolutely expect uh, expect it probably to take a hold more so in Silicon Valley, other places along the West Coast, and also in the East Coast as well, you know, because you, you typically get more uh, early adopters, more, um, more uh, liberal viewpoints at things, especially with stuff like that. I know, yeah. uh, you know, uh, where, where I am in Texas is not, um, is not in the heart of a lot of population. Uh, so I still qualify where I am as being flyover country, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, for, for instance, my uh, you know my brother-in-law was talking about the fact that the moment that the governor said, "Hey, we're gonna you know we're gonna start allowing places to start open back up," that his boss almost had this uh, almost had this uh, relief come over him because he just doesn't know how to deal with not having people right there. And you know, I, I'm you know, I'm I'm hoping that this entire situation hasn't uh, you know stressed people like that out to no end to where they're to, to where they're not even going to not loosen the reins, but maybe even tighten the reins more. Yeah. I, I hope not. Um, I, I know the uh, company I work for um, 
is it's a, a, a multi-location uh, company. You know, still a small business, but it's a multi-location company. And uh, you know, we've had a lot of um, we, we've had a, some remote workers uh, in the past, but uh, management is already talking about um, about fundamentally changing the model of how we have people in company facilities and uh, and how we have people working more at home too. So I don't know how this is going to go. I mean, it's, it's probably going to take another year or two to flush out to see where yeah. we stand with this. Yeah, I agree. We're going to have issues emerge at both ends and we'll have to, we'll have to define our new normals. New Ab- protocols, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, so yeah, j- jumping from general business talk here to j- jumping into uh, virtual reality. Um, so, uh, you know, v- v- virtual reality for a lot of people really is uh, almost a, you know, almost still an unknown quantity. Um, or, you know, there's a lot of people that still associate it with just with gaming. Um, what, what, what kind of uh, stuff are, are you really diving into with uh, virtual reality, though? So at least personally for me, it is more about trying to. So what I'm observing at the moment is the virtual reality, augmented reality and mixed reality. This industry is moving really, really fast. It's evolving. And then we have had this catalyzing event happen, COVID-19, that has also accelerated the need and the want and the adoption of these things. We are, we have, we are facing a little bit of a setback because some of the supply chain lines are severed. But what I'm focusing on personally and professionally is how do we move fast? Because that's the need of the hour. You Mm -hmm. can't stop the valley from moving fast. People just do that. If you don't come along, you just left behind. But what we need to do is we don't need to move fast and break things. We need to move fast and move build purposefully. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to help build safe and inclusive virtual environments. And how do we do that technically is a, is a, is a total mindset shift. So we are trying to change the mindset from, you know, uh, various stakeholders from just people who use these, uh, who live in these or who visit these virtual reality and augmented reality spaces, uh, industries that are putting the platforms together. Those are like, you know, some people that I talk to. Then there is an educational institute like University of Michigan or Berkeley or, you know, all of these universities that are doing conducting research and then just independent researchers and all the way to regulatory entities because the data that these devices and technology collects eventually inevitably we're going to want to have to regulate because that is the only way to have some of these really really large corporation to act ethically and i un- i know this that our regulators in most cases don't understand these technologies the way they work so they ne- they're going to require guidance and have that guidance come from an entity our principles are we're ethical unbiased and we just really want to help build safe and inclusive environments so that is something that we found put as a foundation now you ask a very good question that most people don't quite understand 
uh, virtual reality. So I, how about I give you a nice monologue and try to paint a picture for you? Okay. Okay. So what if you could live the most beautiful dream that you've ever had and live it as a reality? An image of an exotic garden, for instance, packed with every moving detail in multi-dimension. Or the image of your favorite city and you're in it right now. However, now you can. The difference is now you can literally experience every pattern along with your loved ones. Like this is the power that you get. And you can literally not just like experience it in multi-dimension, you can walk into these realities. You can touch these paintings in multi-dimensional, every single stroke. You can pick some of these strokes and share with individuals within that environment. So it's a sort of a complex phenomena that emerges with these virtual dreamlike experiences. It's practically a promise of being able to create anything that you have ever imagined, anything that you have ever dreamed of. And it's literally like, you know, you can interact with people just like we interact today in our perceived reality. So all of this is possible today with the use of virtual augmented reality. However, there is a caveat, which is when we use this software as a building material, yes, it is revolutionizing things. Yes, it is transforming gadgets and you know, handy tools to like, now we're literally like gazing into them like a crystal ball you know, with augmented mm-hmm. reality, holding our phones. It's like, wow, this is fascinating. So we're gazing into our own reality more deeply and we're seeing these things more vividly. Our reality is literally just being replaced, but at the same time, we're inventing a lot of things just like we did in like the old ages, you know? We're inventing touch, for example, you know? Mm-hmm. With the... Uh, uh, with the invention of uh, haptics, so this is like a, this is like an age of uh, old age, old stone age, where we're literally inventing the wheel, how do we touch, how we move, the screw, the lever. But at the same time, it is the 21st century. So it's a really amazing sort of a uh, transformation. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a revolution that's taking place and it's coming from various different directions. And a lot of the people until they step into virtual reality or until they experience fully, you know, like a augmented reality, like they would not be able to really comprehend what this is. But that, the best I can describe it is like, now you can actually live the same reality you have, but you can live it in a digital environment and literally feel like it's real. Okay. Um, okay. I, I guess to go with a little bit of a nerd reference here is it, has it gotten to the point that, that maybe this is one of those next steps to get to a uh, Star Trek technology like holodecks? It is. It's funny that you mentioned holodeck because, you know, that is the inspiration of everything that goes into virtual reality. That is where we want to move. Yes. We have actually invented a device that you can pretty much plug, uh, like place on your shoulder 
And if you touch something that is like, it can literally transform a virtual object into a hard object. So I can, I can feel it as if I'm touching a statue. That would be the haptic response uh -huh. using this device in combination with the headset. And these things are still like, you know, we are literally experiencing a lot of innovation in the space. So as far as, yeah, that is precisely where we are headed. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, that, that's, that, that's exciting to, to think about. I mean, cause I, I, I know that, uh, you know, I, I know that there's been pushes in, uh, you know, like the propulsion area and, you know, to add basically, Oh, the next step toward a holodeck coming on. And, uh, you know, and, uh, I, I <laughs> who knows, I don't know if they're going to figure out if they're ever going to figure out how to do, uh, transporters or not. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I, I, I mean, shoot, that uh, kind, of, that that that, that kind of so violates. Yeah, it would, it, but it kind of violates, uh, you know, a known scientific rule right now that if you uh, if you break down something to the molecular level, it ceases to exist. So, you know, yeah. I mean, that there's really going to have to be a big scientific breakthrough for them to for for them to figure that one out. But but it's it's stuff that's exciting because it's the type of stuff that uh, you, you know people have. Uh, you know, lived in imagination by watching these TV shows and, uh, hey, you know, finally, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe Back to the Future didn't predict our future very well, but, you know, but maybe Star Trek has. It's, yeah, and I think some of these sci-fi movies, and when I watch them, now I watch them with the security privacy critical mindset, but back then when I was just not, ever, not at all into security, these are like a nerd's top 10 wishes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we yeah. want these things to come true. Uh, I, I would love to be able to transport to some of the places today and not have to su suffer any, uh, any kind of consequences. But mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, let's, let, let's move on to uh, uh, question number four. Um, so, uh, <laughs> And I thought I had the question. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so so uh, outside of uh, outside of uh, you know the time you've spent in virtual reality so far, um, you know what was what, what was uh, you know what what was the previous steps in your career? What what, what were you doing before that? Yeah, this is a, this makes for an interesting story. You ready for it? Okay. <laughs> so before I. Um, so before the, not just the virtual reality, but I think my, my entire sort of career with respect to security and privacy has been quite a, uh, quite a journey for myself. And some people have told me it sort of makes up for an inspiring story. And before I didn't quite believe it, but now that I reflect back at, you know, uh, imagine you being a hairstylist working for $10 an hour, having no concept of really security and privacy as such. And then somebody one day, a gentleman walks in, talks to you, and then hands over a book called Cyber War. And then that just like changes your whole, you know, next step and like shifts your future entirely. So that's precisely what happened to me in uh, 2012 something around that time. And uh, before that, I had been a hairstylist for about four or five years. And so that was like where I shifted to tech, cybersecurity, uh, and all of this. 
the 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 shift that happened and i and i did have like you know in 2007 when i moved to america from india that's where i'm originally from i did have a bachelor's degree in computer application uh but i did not want to use it i w- i wanted to uh do cosmetology so i went to school for cosmetology got the license and then for years and years i did that until that very day i just changed entirely as a person and then right away i enrolled myself in a masters of network security uh with depaul university this was in chicago mm-hmm. i went through all these classes sat there very <laughs> feeling like oh my god am i ever going to be able to make sense of it but ultimately you know when you persevere through something and i don't know somehow it just you know on in that moment after reading that book it just really became my passion that uh, i am going to be needed someday by a country by the industry and we need to have people who understand the technical concept that's why the choice of network security mm-hmm. but my heart really was to try to mitigate bridge this gap between the policy making that happens and uh, you know people do like offensive strike without realizing that this is actually code that you're unleashing it will have consequences so i looked at those policy reading this book and i was like man we're going to have a stuxnet like situation like i'm thinking in my head you know like these things might happen and exactly what happened now we are you know information is weaponized and cyber attacks have changed completely and you know then this was book was pre stuxnet that's the version that i read in 2012 and then stuxnet came about so everything that i went through during those times to change my career has really just been kind of true i was like sort of like being led on a path as if as i look back so fast forward after my masters from chicago i moved to california to do uh basically i was preparing some um, i was isms manager helping iso 27001 framework for a law firm a corporate immigration law firm mm-hmm. i did that for about a year and then 2016 facebook uh needed to scale their third parties the security program and so i was an advisor during us presidential election time uh helping build that uh third party security program and then came the whole concept of like because i was working on some projects with oculus at that time i already was intrigued very much by virtual reality and then i got this offer from uh linden lab have you you probably have heard of second life right uh yeah it's like yeah. old old uh, role playing game it is the oldest existing virtual world it has been around for 16 years some people back in the days were quite addicted to it so second life uh, was kind of like being not replicated but they were rolling out a vr platform called sensar so at that time i had the opportunity to head their security to build this from sort of ground up and basically help them protect two economies one of them being second life where you know it's a fully fledged economy where you spend linden dollars you make your you know you do your commerce you exchange goods uh, and then you can literally withdraw money in your actual currency so a lot of the people make all the way like some people make all the way up to million dollars a year in wow. these environments just trading virtual goods so that calls for hackers risk social engineering avatar representation like whole gamut that represents so it was a very good learning opportunity for me that i took it 
until one day it was just not for me. And that's when I started. I was like, I am helping this organization try to address these risks. And it no longer seemed like a path for me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm going to help the whole industry because I just happened to be in a unique position where I saw misinformation, disinformation, and all these like propaganda stuff being played out during 2016. And we were right there addressing some of these technologies, trying to mitigate risks. And then at the same time, being in VR, being able to really see the oldest existing virtual world, take those experiences and lessons. It just put me in a unique position. They almost feel like it's my moral obligation to help build this industry in a safe and pragmatic manner. Hey, I, I, I say more power to anybody that takes approaches like that because, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a similar mindset, you know, I, everything I touch, um, you know, I, I don't just want to be like, okay, you know, let's, let's keep the status quo. It's okay. There, there's ways to make this better. This, you know, my, my, my big thing is I, is I am just really, uh, it really offset it offsets things in my head whenever I'm just getting around something that's just so inefficient. Uh, right. you know, and I, I like being able to, uh, you know, cure inefficiencies and bring structure to things. So it's, it, it's, you know, my, you know, my own little direction I'm going down, but it's that, it's, it's that same idea of, you know, th- there's ways to make this better. There's, there, there's ways to help and turn this into something good um, you know, so, so, so that way it's not, you know, yeah, okay, so you get to leave your mark, but it's, it, it's, you know, it's, it's looking out for other people. It's, it's being, uh, it, it's, it's, it's being concerned about your fellow human beings. Really? Um, so it's, so I, 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 I'm totally right there with you on that. I, that that's that that is a uh, that's a wonderful mission right there. Um, Thank you. Okay, so uh, so uh, you know obviously you know there, you know any of this stuff we could jump off on, but I'm gonna go ahead and take the swerve on the next question. Uh, okay. And, and you you actually kind of sort of halfway beat me to it because I was sitting here uh, trying to uh, trying to uh, place your accent. And you mentioned that you you would uh, come from India. Uh, what what's, what what region of India are you originally from? So I'm originally from uh, Delhi, and I say that for simplification. But if you were to track me down all the way where I was born, it's another northern part in India. It's uh, called Haryana, which is right next to Delhi. Okay. Uh, and most of us who are from around there, you know, when we travel internationally, we try to simplify that. But yeah, Delhi, north of India, that kind of place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, you know, in, in Texas, that happens the same way. Uh, it, you know, I know so many people that say, hey, I'm from Dallas. Hey, I'm from Austin. Hey, I'm from Houston. I, and not, te- yeah. technically not, but yeah, yeah I, I get it. I get it. But hey, can I ask you a question? Because I was actually, sure. now that you mentioned India, um, I was really intrigued by the symbol OM in your Twitter profile. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I wondered to myself, there's got to be a story there somewhere. And I, I, I would love to hear it uh, if there is something to what made you want to put that on there. 
Well, that's actually a very good question. Um, I, uh, you know, I've, I've been raised religious, uh, you know, being a pastor's kid, but, uh, it, but over the last number of years, you know, doing, uh, doing a lot of self-exploration, especially, you know, after learning, okay, you know, all this difficulty has been because I'm autistic. I'm a little bit different than practically everybody else and stuff like that. Um, a lot of the things that I've really, uh, you know, looked into to help, uh, to help center myself as I, as I just reach to, uh, you know, every different, uh, every different philosophy, every different code, every different, uh, you know, religion, every different belief, because frankly, you know, there's, there, there's a good center, uh, center of what they all are in the long run. And, um, and, uh, you know, so one of the things that I dived into as I was doing this was, uh, you know, meditation and trying to, uh, just trying to, uh, really find a way to keep myself, uh, centered, keep myself calmer. Um, and so that, so having that, uh, ohm symbol ever present is uh, one of those things that it's just a, it's a visual trigger, uh, you know, something to remind me to, okay, step back, take a breath. It's, it, it may be something tough, but you don't have to make it tougher than it actually is. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's so, that's amazing that, you know, that you find the value in all of these other religion or other aspect, other philosophies, because that's similar sort of a thing that happened to me. I was actually not born uh, a Muslim. I was born a Hindu. So the symbol Om, you know, is uh, mm-hmm. something that I grew up with, uh, literally written everywhere around the house and being chanted all the time. Um, and then, then came, uh, I actually married a Jewish person. So my ex-husband, uh, Mr. Perlman, that I still carry, uh, was Jewish and I converted. I prayed at the Western Wall because uh, this is the thing, you know, when life offers you so much, why should I just limit myself to what I have grown up with? There is so many philosophies, spiritual philosophies, there's so many technical knowledge, there's so many other spiritual knowledge. So I just really stayed open. Mm -hmm. And then I just traveled to this other religion called Islam. And I'm still like a, you know, like a student of life in all senses. Mm -hmm. And so when when I see people, you know, from a different background, uh, making public sort of appearance, uh, adopting some of the symbolism and stuff, I get really intrigued. Yeah, it's, it, you know, I, I know plenty of people that it's, uh, that they're more co-opting things because it's popular, but yeah, for, for me, it, it really is that, um, I know, uh, I know for a little while I lived, uh, in the Houston area and, uh, actually had the opportunity to, uh, visit a, uh, Hindu temple, uh, um, I don't remember the name of it offhand, but, uh, it's, you know, it, just being there the 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 way is the the way is put together structured everything it's just there was something calming about being on the grounds there um you know and i you know it's 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 something simple for me um you know i i i know uh you know i i i know a, a 
you know, go, going to a temple for somebody that is a practicing Hindu uh, is it, there's probably there, there's probably more practice to it than uh, you know I may ever end up finding myself doing. But yeah, it's just it's just another thing that I I find some centeredness with. Um, so yeah, full, full appreciation of it all of it all. Uh, you know, because even a even a very good example for anybody that's listening that may not entirely believe that. I mean, come on, how many people have heard of the golden rule, right? And mm. I guarantee you that pretty much in every religious text that exists out there, there exists some form of be kind to others because that's what you want to, to do to you. It yeah. may be worded a little bit differently, but it's that exact same premise. So, um, okay. So, um, and you know what? I'm going to cap that whole conversation as another question because it, it was a good topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, you know, mo moving on to uh, question seven then. Um, so, uh, so uh, you, know, let, you know, let's talk specifically about uh, about iftars. Um, what uh, what kind of food is uh, classic food to have uh, with the iftar that that you know you use to break that fast from the day? Uh, so, dates are the ideal food mm -hmm. to you know, and the odd number of dates. So it's either one, three, or five. Mm -hmm. But my knowledge of most of the Islamic stuff is reliant on people that I've met, <laughs> or maybe books that I've read. So it may not be as traditional as maybe somebody that who has grown up in a, in that Islamic environment. So. Um, but what I, what I understand so far is, you know, dates is like a classic thing. So when you can't find dates, because this is something that uh, uh, Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him, he used to break his fast using dates. And if that was not available, then he would use water uh, for the lack of. Uh, so that's, those are the two things that you use to break the fast. Okay, okay. Um, all right, uh, another uh, another question just really truly out of curiosity here um i, I know uh I, I know in the hindu religion that uh, it, that uh cows are seen as sacred and you you just don't mess with cows right <laughs> um is it, how how has uh, something like that changed with you since it, oh since my gosh i am so impressed with your ability to dig <laughs> and to get to, um, you know, like the essence of a person. Because, you know, this kind of a question, um, it generally never happens. And sometimes after years of knowing each other as a friends, then I tell them, hey, you know, I remember that one time. So this is kind of like, wow, what an acceleration <laughs> into gleaning into what could be the most profound experience for a person, granted the tidbits that I shared with you. So amazed. I'm truly impressed. With that said, this is actually very, very crucial. And it was a very crucial moment for me to realize how do you go from sacred cow, holy cow, worshiping the cow to like, now I'll eat the cow. <laughs> 
And and honestly, it was a, it, it, I really had that moment where, you know, good thing was that I went from like a polyatistic religion to then monotheistic religion. I had five years of like introductory monotheism. I took 16 weeks of course to convert to Judaism. I knew all the prayers. So it was great to go from like, you know, there are so many gods representation to like, there is only one God and then sort of spiritually arrive at Islam. But in spite of starting to pray five uh, days, five times a day, in spite, in spite of all the practices that I was doing, I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm not true Muslim. I got to figure out if I can eat the cow. Like I really have to. <laughs> so I seriously one day sat down and I was like, uh, I need to resolve this. And there is a friend, he's, an, he's, a, he's another nerd that I met in college. And he's like, I will help you. I will take you to the most delicious burger place <laughs> in Chicago. So we had this whole ritual. So now you know why I'm truly impressed by your, you know, curiosity in these things, uh, because it was a profound moment. And he's sitting there waiting. He's like, now you eat this. It was literally like hands down the best place in Chicago. So I don't remember the name, but, uh, you know, he hands me the burger and now comes the great moment. And he's like, hmm, hmm, what do you think? And, and I'm just like, literally my eyes closed. I'm trying to chew and think like what's happening. Nothing in my brain, no oddity, nothing. And on that day, I was a true convert. I was like, <laughs> it's not a holy cow. It's just a cow. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's it's amazing. Yeah, and part of the reason I even asked that is because you know obviously that's that that is considered a religious tenet, but because it's so heavily baked in, uh, you know it's 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 also a cultural thing, and you know whenever whenever you get somebody to try to uh, you know go against and break uh, you know something cultural, especially something they were exposed to during all of their years growing up, that that can be tough. Yep. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I know it is, you know, anybody who has changed religion or even, you know, changed their identity, uh, change, uh, things about their own persona, like, you know, um, your gender or transformation of some sort that made sense for them. Life is challenging as it is, but then it becomes doubly challenging because, because people, people have a really hard time reconciling these things when human beings are changing their fundamental belief system. Mm -hmm. uh, people around you may not really accept you. And that is another thing that, you know, a lot of the people have, along, including myself, had to go through. And for me, several times, in fact. <laughs> uh, but uh, in the spirit of we only have one life, we are traveling this earth as a soul, and we get all the choice, especially after arriving in this country that, you know, quote unquote, free country, freedom of religion. I really took to it. I really just took advantage of it. <laughs> hey, that's, that's good. Um, okay, so uh, ne next question. Um, uh, another uh, less philosophical question, maybe. You know, for some people, it's philosophical. Um, but uh, what, what, was the, uh, what, what was the type of music that you listened to growing up? Uh, Bollywood music. And a lot of it depended on the time that I grew up, the socioeconomics. I believe there were a lot of people that, growing, that were growing up same time as me in the same setting, 
but because their socioeconomics was much more elevated, was not like mine, we were not rich by any sense. In fact, <laughs> the time that I grew up, my parents saw Western music as something that will like destroy our minds or, you know, would, would spoil our culture. Mm -hmm. So it was almost banned. So as a result, you can almost predict what happened when I turned a teenager. <laughs> I was like, Hollywood it is, rock music. <laughs> I, I literally would listen to uh, you know, pop music, American pop music, and try to try to understand the English pronunciation because I didn't speak in English, mm -hmm. but it became like a passion. And uh, in our household, we were literally told that, you know, speak your mother language, speak your mother tongue. And so it, it's just so very specific to where I grew up, what the socioeconomics were. So Hindi, classical, Bollywood music, religious music. Every morning, my dad would play all the gods, religious music. That was like, oh my God, dad, please stop. <laughs> but nowadays, like, you know, those are similar things that I rely on for comfort um, when times are tough or something. So yeah, that was the music part. All right, all right, yeah, that uh, um, so, so, sounds uh, not not too far off from you know my my growing up years. Uh, you know, to, you know, definitely uh, growing up a pastor's kid. I was uh, I, I was uh, you know kept sheltered and everything so my my choices stayed with that shelteredness and you know maybe it was uh maybe it was uh, uh you know music from church maybe it was uh you know a, a more modern christian music out you know as years went on or uh you know uh, i'd uh, listen to a lot of classical i listened to a lot of jazz uh but the moment i got out of school Mm -hmm. That started to change, and I, I even remember the first true dive away from that was uh, was a good friend of mine was a person that introduced me to Insane Clown Posse. Huh. <laughs> um, and, and and to this day, the only concert that I have ever I have ever attempted to attend was an Insane Clown Posse concert, just so I could tell tell my friend. Okay, I actually went to one. <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah. Um, but you know, but but now I, I find myself, uh, you know, if you were to look at my playlist, it's it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I I just I, I've got so much of, you know, I I appreciate good art. Yeah. I, I appreciate when somebody create create something that is uh, profound that uh, that that uh, can actually draw some kind of an emotional reaction from me um that you know that that, that i'll listen to whatever it is right, if right. that's the case yeah music is so personal but i'm totally not surprised based on everything that you've shared and you know what i've learned through your podcast is that you've got a nice mix of things now i mean hell i even even went through the edm phase where where i was like totally into edm i met like some of these djs backstage with my ex-husband and uh, ultra music festival and like it just you know went through this whole phase and then that sort of phased out and then it became all about just you know exactly what you're going through is uh, music that speaks to you music that's nice and you know you just start uh, start to just be open to everything pretty much mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah 
Um, all right, so we have actually arrived to the moment that we're at question number 10. Wow. And, uh, and uh, this, is, this is pretty much uh, you know, turned into my uh, standard question number 10 for everybody at this point. But uh, what's, uh, what's the uh, worst advice that you ever remember receiving? And also separately, what's the best advice you ever remember receiving? Uh, this is going to make me sad for one second because I do, I do remember, and even though I close to, I hold this advice close to my heart, this is the first time I'm going to say this. I actually, in my head, I envisioned so many times that I would say it on, my, on, on a stage or something, but I haven't. But the worst advice I ever received was from my father. He told me when I was a little girl, it stayed in my head. He probably may not remember. He said, beta, which means son or in literally, but he was saying, you know, uh, my dear, you're not a princess. So don't dream. Don't dream because you're not a princess. You need to stay within your limits. You need to conform. So that was his advice. <laughs> and uh, it was a worst or the good advice or whatever that was, but it really did not work on me. <laughs> I was a dreamer. I was, uh, you know, growing up in a smaller sort of community, but I dreamed that one day I will inspire people, change the world. In fact, even at the age of seven, I would tell that, you know, I will one day go to abroad. In fact, I didn't, I asked my, all of my, like, you know, I saw Barbie doll uh, advertisement on TV, but I never once asked my parents to buy it because I thought they were poor. And in my mind and all, all my friends, I would tell them, one day I will go abroad and I will get my own Barbie doll. Like I never <laughs> even asked for such a thing because daring to ask for things like that would go against, you know, disturbing them because I'm not a princess. Uh, I'm not entitled or things are not available to me. So when I started to win all these awards because of my work and security and stuff, I envisioned one day that I would stand up there and I would, you know, and actually it did happen. I called my dad uh, after some of these award ceremony and I told him what I've done and what I've accomplished. And it was, I was like, Papaji, this is, this, is, this is why I dreamed and this is what I've accomplished. And he literally said, I am so proud of you. Like he literally said in English, which he doesn't even speak. So he had to like, he had to have to prepare this or something. I don't know. He speaks a little bit of English, but not like, you know, conversing. So that was really amazing. And I think worst, but it was still a good advice because it, I repelled, I rebelled against it. And that really, the bounce back effect made me who I am today. And then comes the best advice. Um, I would say the best advice I've received is really from uh, just a collective of few different experiences, I would say. Uh, two of the principles that I uh, really hold to my heart are sabr and shukr. These are two Islamic principles. So I guess the advice I received is from the Quran. It is the concept of uh, sabr, which is literally um, endurance, perseverance, and persistence, and patience in the face of all that is unexpected and unwanted. That is sabr. 
and then there is shukr, which is thankfulness and gratefulness. And then there is another third word that I added to it. This is something that I learned from a good friend, Marco Magnano. He's Italian. And he suggested to me, be a comandante, uh, which is in Italian means easygoing, accommodative, and you know, don't break because something happens, just, just persevere. So altogether, it has become like a mantra for me now is to have sabr, have shukr, and be a commandante. And if if uh, only all of us had the had the ability to really lean into that. Um, yeah, this is know, challenging, but, but uh, is, yeah, it, it is. It is, but but even even attempting to lean into that uh you know that's that's something that could just that that can make us all better human beings and uh, all more resilient and you know it's it would be a different a different journey for every person as they did that but but even striving for that you know it's it means that there's there's something up there that's that, that that's that's good that wants to be good that wants to be good to others and you know hey that's that, that's all we could really truly hope for wish for is you know be good to others um you know and and hope they return the same hey you know once you get back to that whole golden rule thing right that's correct that's exactly right and I think, uh, Thinker, today, as we are facing COVID-19, the pandemic, the isolation, that's when it really became even more paramount. We need to have suburb. We need to have, you know, persevere, endurance. We need to have these patience with ourselves. Uh, and this is really one of those many things that we will get through our situation. I mean, humanity is transformed and transforming we got to go back to our roots. We got to go back to the golden principle, the golden rule. We got to, we really got to, we really got to hold, hold these things close. And that's how we will endure through any situation and persevere and define our new normal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Kavya, I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's, this, this has been, uh, you know, and I said this before we started recording. I've, I've told everybody this, but I, I can't help but say it again because it's just it, it, it's been it's been a unique in and of itself conversation uh, for me to, to speak to you. Um, and I, I I hope to get a chance to to talk to you again, whether we're recording this or not. It's it, it, I <laughs> for sure. I, yeah. I, I've I've absolutely enjoyed this. So uh, yeah. Um, um, we are we are also putting together something called as a singularity watch where we will do something similar like a podcast in virtual reality so you have an open invitation if you don't have a headset we'll send a headset or we'll you know facilitate it so that it's you know dip, not device dependent and so you can experience all of this but in virtual reality oh that's awesome thank you thank you so uh it well um, we'll, we'll go ahead and, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and call it now for the, you know, purposes we're recording. Um, but, uh, but thank you once again. Um, I'll, and, uh, I'll, I'll let you back to the rest of your day. Thank you for having me.